There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, and welcome to In All Honesty, the podcast where you get the honest answers you didn't know you needed. I'm Michelle Elman, and I'm a five-board accredited life coach, and I use my experience from this to answer all the questions that have been on your mind lately. This week, we are talking about perfectionism. I take a slightly controversial view on perfectionism in that... I think it's just a fancy word for something that doesn't really exist. What does exist is fear, and that's simply all perfectionism is. The fear of not being good enough, the fear of being wrong, the fear of failure, and even the fear of success. And some of you might be like, well, yes, but then that's perfectionism. Maybe. Here's the reason why I don't tend to use the word, though. Because the word perfectionism comes with an ego boost and is used as a justification and almost an excuse to not change your behaviour. I'm obviously going to give a caveat. Therapists, psychologists, counsellors and life coaches all work in different ways. And if you are currently working with someone in your own life and you bring in my point of view, they might not necessarily agree. What Whatever I say or whatever your therapist or life coach says, I will give you the general rule and this is what I tell my clients of take what resonates with you and leave the rest. So if my point of view on perfectionism doesn't resonate with you, don't use it. If your therapist's point of view on perfectionism doesn't resonate with you, don't use it. Just tell them that doesn't really sit with me right and use something else that is helpful. So there are going to be people who disagree. There are going to be professionals who disagree. But as with anything personal development, there are different points of views or what we call different models of the world. It doesn't mean one person is right and one person is wrong. Just figure out what is useful to you. But it comes with this ego boost or in my belief, it comes with this ego boost that it comes with a, oh, but I'm a perfectionist. That doesn't come with saying the same when you say, I'm scared I might fail. And therefore I see perfectionism as this word that's now being used to say something similar to that energy of, well, that's just the way I am. As if perfectionism is this unmovable thing that can't be changed. I've also heard the word perfectionist be used as an ego move to push others down and make yourself feel better about yourself in the way that people go, no, but it's because I'm a perfectionist. 
in a way to imply that your work or the work that you submit is subpar, like they are better than you because they only accept the highest standard. But it's important to note that only accepting the highest standard is not the same as expecting or only accepting perfection. Perfection doesn't exist. And that might sound like a cliche, but it's true. I almost see the word perfectionist in the same light as when someone says, I feel fat. No one can feel fat because it's not a feeling. So do you feel sad? Do you feel insecure? Do you feel anxious? Sad, insecure and anxious are all words we can work with and work through. Fat is not a word we can work with because it's a fact. Same with perfectionist. You can't really work with a perfectionist as a word. You can, however, work with fear of failure, fear of being judged or whatever's coming up for you. But we can't know what's coming up for you if you use this blanket term of perfectionist because one person's perfectionism doesn't have the same cause as another person's perfectionism. I've been fortunate enough to never really struggle with perfectionism. We all have our own issues. Perfectionism is not one of mine. And I think it's because I'm inherently a lazy person. Don't worry, I'm not insulting myself. I don't see words like lazy or even selfish or stubborn as good or bad words or good or bad traits. When I say I'm lazy, I mean I've always been the kind of person to do the bare minimum work in the fastest way possible. Me being lazy is exactly what I credit for my efficiency because I will always take the shortest route to getting things done and it's not a bad thing. There is a phrase that if you want something done, give it to a busy person. I don't like that phrase because I don't like to add to the overglorification of being busy, but instead I say, if you want something done, give it to a lazy person. I guess the only time I've ever felt a vague sense of perfectionism is around my book, but for that I have a post-it on my desk that says done is better than perfect and any time that voice pipes up saying it's not good enough, I counter it by agreeing with myself that I just need to get it down and I will fix it later. There is a phrase in writing that says you can't edit words that don't exist, so I have a solid rule of no editing, no rereading, and I'm not even allowed to correct my spelling or grammar if I notice a mistake while I'm typing until I've complete my word target for the entire book. So for my latest book, it was 80,000 words. Until everything is down, nothing gets touched, and nothing gets deleted. And then once I've finished it, I will go through and properly edit it, and then I will read it through roughly around three times. I then put it in an email and almost have to send it to my editor impulsively. I just hit the send button before I can think about it because especially with a book, you will always be able to do more. And the only reason I think I had this vague sense of perfectionism around it is because I had this fear of how permanent a book is that you can't really change anything. And so if I were to label it accurately, it was this fear of getting it wrong, it was this fear of um, misspeaking, it was this fear of being problematic in any way. Those are accurate labels. Saying that was perfectionism isn't an accurate label. But when you submit a book, you have to accept it's never going to be perfect. And again, there is another writing quote that goes, the day a book is published is the day a book is out of date. And so that's how I accept my books now, is that they will never be perfect, 
and I see them as a capsule of my thoughts at the time or what I believed at the time of writing and if my beliefs drastically change which thank god they have not so far then I will just write another book so those are my general thoughts on perfectionism but ranting to you about perfectionism especially in writing isn't going to be relatable to everyone so let's get into your specific queries hi michelle love your podcast and really really enjoyed um the joy of being selfish just wanted to send a note just in regards to perfectionism um in particular i really suffer from socially prescribed perfectionism so like i i feel like um that anyone who i speak to is constantly judging me or expecting me to be perfect or I don't even know what I don't even know what this kind of standard I have that I expect people need to hold me to is but for some reason I'm always every time I have a social interaction afterwards I'm always wondering if I met the standard and if I said anything silly or if you know if I was okay and I don't know I just I know it's very irrational and I know that rationally like that's not true, especially, you know, if my friends are my friends and they're not judges, they're not judging every single interaction, like a test. Um, but I really struggle with it and I really struggle with the idea of just letting go um, and not trying to kind of control what people can think of me because obviously I can't control that. Um, and I just wondered if you had any kind of tips or thoughts about that kind of perfectionism where you, where you think everybody expects you to be perfect. Hey there, thank you so much for getting my book. So following on from what I just said about the word perfectionism, I would suggest you stop using the label socially prescribed perfectionism because that is very cerebral, very intellectual and very ego-based term. Let's call it what it is because when you describe it as an actual emotion, you can do something about it. So it's fear. For you specifically, it's fear of being judged and it sounds like a fear of letting someone down. So in your words, you said you them expecting me to be perfect. So what you've done is you've mind read. You've created an imaginary expectation that the other person has not communicated or expressed and then held yourself to that standard. So actually, this has nothing to do with other people, social interactions and I would hazard a guess that this imagining expectation that you put on yourself to be perfect isn't isolated to other people or social interactions, but that instead you are likely a person who also has high standards and expectations for your work. Why you might not have brought this up in the voice note is because likely you have found ways to cope in that area of your life. So again, just going off my own intuition, I would almost hazard a guess that you are a very high achiever and therefore you don't notice this expectation in work or studying because you achieve it. But that doesn't mean you aren't doing the same thing in other areas of life. I want to squash this idea though that your high expectations and this immense pressure you put yourself under is responsible for your success and your achievements. They are not related. These expectations do not make you better. They do not make you closer to perfect. It just increases anxiety, stress and frankly you are just punishing yourself. So again if you are honest we need to bring it back to you. This is not about other people and it never has been. It's not about other people putting this expectation on you. 
You have built a complicated story to almost justify this behaviour. And when you put time and energy into a story, that takes time and energy from the solution. So what I'm hearing from your voice note is you are seeking approval. The reason why you worry when you leave an interaction is because you have a belief around you not being good enough and you are looking for approval from that person you are interacting with because you do not approve of yourself and likely you didn't get the approval you needed as a child. So whichever, or maybe even both, parental figures you are chasing the approval of, what you are doing is chasing that approval and projecting it onto others. How we heal this is providing ourselves evidence of being good enough every day and approving of ourselves. We are going to need to change your reference point from an external one where you look to the world for your approval to an internal one. You know logically and rationally people are not thinking about you as much as you think you are. You know logically and rationally your friends aren't testing you. We need you to have all of these realisations internally, in your body, emotionally. So we want you feeling in your body that you are enough. So I'm going to set you two exercises. Every night, I want you to write three ways you approve of yourself. Find three things you did that day. So that could be, I approve the fact I listened to my body today and I had a nap in the middle of the afternoon. I want this to become a daily exercise. I want you also to do every night. Today, I was good enough when I... Three things every night. You are unlearning a lifetime long belief. So you need to be doing this every night. And I want you to commit to doing this for a month. There's also something inherent in the fact that you're almost saying I'm worth this time and energy to do this exercise every night. So you are also practically rewriting this belief by making time for yourself and making that commitment and starting to build yourself trust. Say you're going to do it for 30 days, then you actually do it. That's how we build up self-respect. The second exercise that will really help is I want you to find some time to write 100 reasons why someone would want to spend time with you. A hundred reasons is a lot, but you need to know this. And in my experience, when you do this exercise, you'll be able to fire out a certain number, but then you'll be stumped. And then you will end up sitting there for about 10 minutes with not a single reason coming to your mind. And you keep sitting there until the next reason comes up. That's when you're going to start getting more reasons and your brain will actually start actively searching for these beliefs so that it becomes inherent in you that you know what you bring to the table. This will specifically help in terms of when you leave an interaction and have the thought that your friends are judging you or thought you were stupid. Instead, you are rewriting this and giving your brain reasons why people are actually just really enjoying your company. Provide yourself that evidence for what you want to believe and notice how it affects your life. Know what you bring to the table when it comes to your interactions. And once you've done this list, you will realise that actually people are really lucky to be able to spend time with you and you don't need to be humble about it. For example, I know I bring good energy when I walk into a room. I know I'm also a lot of fun. It's your job to know these things and know these things about yourself. And if you can't list these reasons, then you can't expect others to see the reasons themselves. I hope that gives you some things to be getting on with and let me know how it goes. I would love an update. Actually, I always love hearing updates from every voice note and whether it worked out, whether it resonated. It's lovely getting feedback. So if I've ever answered one of your voice notes, always feel free to send me a DM telling me how it went. 
um, and I'm sending you much love. Thank you so much for this question. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In this week's Dissecting Dysfunctional Relationships, we are talking about New Amsterdam. I've been loving this series and I actually find it really hard to get through a single episode without crying. Of course, it can't compete with my one true love, Grey's Anatomy, but it's a really good show and I highly recommend it. It's very political as well, um, but Grey's Anatomy is obviously still my one true love. So I'm on the current latest season of uh, New Amsterdam and in order to not ruin it, I will remove as many names as I can. And essentially one of the doctors has been really ill with coronavirus this season. They are currently playing out the pandemic within a medical context, obviously. And this doctor has needed all kinds of surgery and he's now been at home recovering before going back to work. For his return, another doctor, his best friend, throws him a surprise welcome back party and he never turns up. So his best friend's calling and calling with no response and this other doctor, his best friend, is actually the hospital psychologist. So in a really healthy way, he sets his boundary and says, I'm really sorry about that last phone call. I didn't mean to dump all of that on you. I love you. I hope you're okay, but I've got to draw a boundary here you need to pick up the phone right now or you and I can't be the same kind of friends anymore at all. Really, so just pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Now, that's not personally how I would set the boundary, but it's not far off of a good boundary. Later on, the woman that he's living with, the doctor that was ill, uh, calls him back to update him. And when he picks up, he goes, I don't care, I don't want to know. Now, this is clearly not true. Clearly, he does care. They've been best friends for a number of years and just because you set a boundary doesn't mean the feelings disappear. And even if he did set the boundary of not being friends again, 
you don't instantly stop caring. And so even though it's a really good boundary he set, this gives it more insight into what he's feeling. And it was at this point you realise he wasn't setting a boundary, it was a wall he was putting down. He wasn't setting a boundary because he didn't want to be caring for someone who wasn't reciprocating. He was putting up a wall because he felt hurt. And that's a big distinction. Turns out the reason why he never came to the surprise party is because he's been too scared to leave the house. And when he last attempted, he was too tired and didn't even make it out the door. So whilst it's completely within his right to set a boundary and using the silent treatment is not a functional way of communicating... Ending a friendship over this is just going to lead to two hurt parties. Because this isn't a boundary, this is a wall. This is pushing someone away because you feel hurt and rejected, not you setting a boundary because you reached your limit. Each of their behaviours were actually not about each other at all. And to make it about the friendship or the quality of the friendship would have been wrong and also an unnecessary loss. This is all set within the pandemic, right? And especially within the pandemic, I've been learning to not take a change in behaviour personally because a lack of context or a change in the way a person normally behaves is more likely due to the massive global trauma we are living through right now. And as a result, a lot of us are falling back into bad coping mechanisms. Now, that's not an excuse, that's not to justify it, but I always think, even in a pandemic, it's better and healthier communication to just give the person a chance to see if they're okay, and then set your boundary, and then communicate what you will and won't accept. It's actually funny because there's another boundary moment later on in the series, later in the episode there's a conversation between two doctors, and she says... My sister and I are both addicts who only trust chaos and are incapable of having intimate relationships. That's what happens when no one gives you boundaries. You are all she has now, so you have to be her mother, friend, aunt, and if you can't, then you are just some woman who doesn't deserve her. And you know what? I think that sums up boundaries perfectly. On to the next question. Hi Michelle, I hope you're having a lovely day. My question is about perfectionism. Uh, So I'm 16 and my sister's 14 and she struggles quite a lot with uh, perfectionism. And so whenever it's a parent's birthday and we're like making a present or whatever, um, it always kind of ends in really quite horrible fights because she uh, has it all planned out in her head the way it's supposed to go and the way it's supposed to be perfect. And uh, that kind of means that she's really reluctant to let in any other viewpoints or if I don't do my like bit of it perfectly the way that she wants it to be, uh, she gets very, very angry. So I was wondering if you had any tips on dealing with this, Um, because obviously like I really feel for her. I know it must be really exhausting, but at the same time, it's just horrible to have the same fight over and over again. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much. Hey there. So this is a matter of boundaries because you can't control another person, you can't change another person and you can't help another person who doesn't want to be helped or does not actually see it being a problem at all. You need to trust the fact that she has the resources and ability to ask for help when this becomes or if this becomes a great enough inconvenience in her life that she actually wants to change it. You cannot force her to be ready and even if you lectured her, if she is not ready to listen, she will take none of it in and make absolutely no change. 
So let's talk about you because you are what we can control and you are the person who sent in the problem. Therefore, the problem is how you are feeling. We can only work with what's within our power. And so you can set boundaries because her behavior is impacting you. And that's the part that is the actual problem we are working with here. So the next time you're working on something together, I want you to set clear boundaries around what is her part and what is your part and make an agreement before starting the project. And it's important you do this before starting the project that you won't interfere on each other's parts. If she starts interfering on your part, then you remind her of the agreement she made and that it makes you feel bad when she undermines the effort and work that you've put into it. If she still perseveres in trying to change your side or your part of it, then you simply say, you can change it, but this is also going to be the last time we are working together on a joint project. This doesn't work if we can't keep to our agreement. So fine, you can change it if that's what's necessary for you to be happy in order to give this present. But next time, we are going to do separate presents. She then has a choice. She either has a choice to leave it or change it, but then that's it. You're not doing joint presents anymore. Why are you putting yourself through the same situation over and over again, expecting a different result? It doesn't work. You know how you said you feel for her because it must really be exhausting? I do want to challenge that because you don't know what she is feeling. You don't know that it's exhausting for her. What you are actually saying is that if I lived that way, I would be exhausted. If I had her standards, I would be exhausted. But for all you know, she could be thriving living like that. She might be enjoying her anger or the drama of it. It might make her feel more important or needed. And that might be fulfilling a need that she has right now and a need that she hasn't figured out how to fulfill in different ways or healthier ways. So is she getting her need fulfilled in a healthy way? Of course not. But if she is satisfied getting her needs met that way, then who are you to say it's a problem? The only problem you can solve is when it affects you. The feelings inside your body are your problem. And how she feels and her problems in her life are her own responsibility. And this is part of making sure that you don't have any codependency in your life, is knowing which feelings and emotions belong to which party. And the impact she is having on you is the part you need to be working on. So a little bit of a reality check. But if you've been following me long enough, you should expect nothing less. I'll always say it how it is, even if it's not a comfortable truth. So go set those boundaries and let her go on her own journey with her own perfectionism. I'm sending you so, so much love. This week's three quick tips are on how to squash perfectionism. Number one, call it what it is. Stop using the word perfectionism and stop using the word perfectionist. Every time you call yourself that, you're confirming an identity that no longer serves you. So if you're scared, say you're scared. If you're worried, say you're worried. Label what you're feeling accurately. And that brings you one step closer to actually solving it. Number two, you waste 90% of the time correcting only 5% of the work. This is a quote that always sticks in my head when it comes to those final bits and it's mostly done and you're just correcting and tweaking the smallest details. We waste so much time going over and over the smallest parts and realistically, they aren't the details that are going to impact the bulk of the grade or the bulk of your output. So remember to look at the bigger picture. 
Number three, play out the worst case scenario. Oftentimes the worst case scenario we're imagining in our heads is just not realistic. It is a situation that our brain has created in order for us to be motivated out of fear. But what if you knew you would get the work done anyway? What if you knew you could get the work done without fear? Do you really need to be scared in order to motivate yourself? Get honest with yourself and as much as your brain is telling you that you will get fired, that is highly unlikely. So fact check your brain. Hi Michelle, I have a question relating to failure and human error. Nobody is perfect, but as a perfectionist, dealing with failure can be extremely difficult. I end up being very hard on myself with sleepless nights and fearing situations that might lead to similar outcomes. What advice can you give for helpful strategies and ways of dealing with such situations and the feelings that come from them? Hey, so thank you for your question. The thing with the fear of failure is that it's learned and it's often learned from childhood. So I want you to go back to your childhood and ask yourself what would happen if you make a mistake? What would happen if you made a mistake? How would your parental figures respond if you accidentally broke something or you got something wrong? How did the adults around you respond in relation to grades? Were you heavily punished when you didn't get a good grade or were you so hard on yourself that you were such a perfect student that you never gave them an opportunity to see what would happen? I want you to find a moment in your childhood that you believe relates to your feeling around failure and I want you to go back to your child at that age. Give yourself the chance to reparent that child and teach them something else, something better, something healthier. So let's say they dropped a plate and you were told off by being told, you never do anything right, you're so clumsy, this is why you can't be trusted around nice things. I want you to go back and instead say to that child and really imagine that child in front of you at that age and say, it's okay, I forgive you and I know it was just a mistake, everyone makes mistakes. Keep having a conversation with them until you feel the feeling in your body lifting. Then I want you to take the adult in that situation, the adult who told that child off and take them into a separate room away from your inner child and have a conversation with them. So that might go something like, how you spoke to that child was unacceptable. You do not treat another person like that. It was a simple mistake. You have broken plates before and they will too. This is your way of protecting your inner child and in that moment your child needed to be defended and no one did that. So you are rewriting history and more importantly, how those feelings sit in your body every time you feel like you're not good enough, every time you feel like you're about to fail. Because until it's resolved, it does sit within you and that's why it affects anything around this fear of failure. Failure is not only good, but I actually think it's compulsory in order to be successful. I am of the belief that if you do enough things, you will eventually fail at something. If you give enough talks, you will eventually bomb a talk. If you hold enough meetings, you will eventually stumble in a meeting. And therefore, the only person who actually never experiences failure is the person who never ever tries. I also believe that failure is feedback. So when you make an error, you learn from it and do better next time. So I want you to start embodying the idea that failure isn't failure if you learn from it. A mistake is a lesson if you learn from it. And sometimes we have to get it wrong in order to get it right. Sometimes we have to get it wrong in order to learn. 
But all of this is very cerebral. Everything, all of this is very intellectual. I talk about this a lot. So intellectual, cerebral, in your mind, you can logically and rationally understand something. Sometimes emotionally, you do not get the same feeling or emotionally or energetically in your body, you will not um, be able to let something go, even though like in your head, you know, it doesn't make sense. That's because sometimes your emotions don't make sense. And so this is why you have to prove it to yourself emotionally. This week, I want you to find some time to sit down for an hour or two, schedule it in your diary, and I want you to go through every instance in your life and write this down with a pen and paper of every single time you failed and survived. And in each moment, I want you to write down everything you learned from it and all the benefits that came out of that happening. I've actually done this exercise myself. I've always have done an exercise that I give to other people. Otherwise, I don't know if it works. Also, I don't know if it's any good. If I find a better exercise than the exercise I've been giving out, I obviously give out the better exercise. But the only way for me to know it's better is because I've tried it myself. So I remember I was on my fourth book rejection after Am I Ugly? And I remember saying to my agent, publishers clearly don't want me to write a second book. How stupid do I have to be to not get the message fourth time round? So I go through these moments as well. Like I have my own fear of rejection or the pain of rejection. I don't think it was a fear. It was more like just a sadness, the disappointment, the rejection. I think if I put it in my own words, it would be like I was just gutted. Like I, I love writing. I love my books. So I felt like a complete failure. So at this time in my life, I sat down and wrote down every single moment where I had failed and learned something better. And so what came into my life was this realisation that this is all happening for the perfect timing. I went through each moment in my life where I failed and not only wrote down the lesson, but I also wrote all the things that wouldn't have happened if what I wanted at the time actually ended up happening. All the things I wouldn't have learned, all the things that all the jobs that came instead. So for example, with the book thing, if I any of those four manuscripts had gone to print, that meant the joy of being selfish would have never happened. And I've truly never cared about a topic as much as I've cared about talking about boundaries. So in hindsight, the timing makes sense. And I'm so grateful now that I got all those rejections. I am so grateful none of those books went ahead. And so this is how we teach ourselves. So write all the lessons down, both big and small. And next time your brain plays out a worst case scenario, you now have a list of all the proof that failure is really not that bad. And also sometimes a failure is actually pointing you in the right direction or delaying you because something great is going to happen in the future. Hope that helps. And thank you so much for your question. The thing I am working on at the moment is something that is hard to describe. So I'm going to tell a little longer story. I posted on Instagram this thing that said when a Leo gets hurt, they shut down. They act like an arsehole. They shut off their emotions and act indifferent towards everything. And I posted it because last week I was called ruthless three times. Like, this is not new to me. I get called rude, arrogant, all the words, all the words everyone feels around boundaries in general. I get the most extreme words because when you become the face of boundaries, then you get the projection of anyone who has a negative reaction to boundaries. But the reason I was called ruthless three times last week is because I deleted a guy's number and messages three days after he cancelled the date because he said he was ill and hadn't messaged me since. And I get asked a lot, how can I be so good at deleting numbers? 
And then other people asked me, but what if he was genuinely ill? Well, if he was genuinely ill, he could have rearranged another day or date or at the very least would have messaged me saying something like, how's your day? Especially considering we'd been talking all day every day for the last 10 days. Also, in my mind, if you say, let's take a rain check, you're the one who needs to organise the rain check and the rescheduling of it. And you need to put the extra effort in because you're the one who cancelled. Or at least that's how I work in my life. And that's the standard I have for not just people I date, but also my friends. That if you cancel, great, organise the next one. Pick another date. Um... In fact, I cancelled something last week and I was the one who was like, okay, but let's rearrange. I will do this. I will come to you um, and I will sort out everything and I will find it. And she was like, oh, do you want me to help book? And I was like, nope, I've got it. I was the one who cancelled. It's sorted. This is my way of making it up to a person. So when I hadn't heard from him for three days, I was like, cool, done. You're not interested in rain checking. That was clearly just an excuse. I don't really care whether it was an excuse. I'm not going to waste my time trying to figure out whether he was actually ill or not. But that doesn't stop the fact that I'm still feeling hurt. And it's important to note because what's going on on the inside doesn't dictate what I do on the outside. So I still set my boundaries. I listen to what he's telling me. And whilst it's not in words, him not messaging me after that message saying he's ill... That is sending a message. And just because I'm hurt or I was particularly excited for the date or I was particularly disappointed that it didn't happen or I never ended up meeting him doesn't mean I changed my rules and my standard. That's not how it works. My rules and my standards are rigid in my life because it's about making sure the people in my life have respect for me and are respectful in their behaviour. The part I'm working on though, not with this guy, but with other people in my life, is communicating when I'm hurt. And I've probably been working on this for about a year and I've actually got so good at it. And actually, if I think back to 2020, one of my proudest moments was me learning this lesson. I had been dating someone for five months and a number of things had happened and so I decided to end it. I was hurt and in the text I said it had got boring and whilst I didn't mean it as an insult, I think subconsciously at some level I knew it would have hurt him and so I recognised that was wrong of me. I apologised and he forgave me and he said he understood. We talked it through, we communicated, we sorted it out and it was a huge learning curve. We ended up dating for four more months after that and I actually felt so proud of myself that we worked through it and it made me feel more connected to him. But with a massive caveat that there is a difference between a random person cancelling on a first date versus someone who has built up your trust and deserves to be given the benefit of the doubt. So I'm learning this lesson with people who are more long term in my life and at the same time keeping my high standard for the beginning of a relationship because to be honest if they're not acting that way for the first date you are going to be dealing with the same problem a year into the relationship because people on their first date or even before the first date are trying to be their best version of themselves so when you're actually in a long-term relationship with them whether that's platonic or romantic you're going to be dealing with a worse version than when you first met. Um, but this is why we talk about the nuanced side of communication over here. I am trying to dispel this idea that there are black and white rules for everyone on everything because every context is different. And it's why in this podcast, I need to get your voice notes. I try not to edit your voice notes and I want your pure voice notes because it gives the details, it gives the context and the context and the details are important because hard, fast rules do not work. So 
Thank you so much all for your questions. The podcast couldn't happen without your voice notes and your vulnerability in sending in all these questions. I know it takes time. I know it takes energy. I know it's a bit of a faff sending in a voice note and you will still do it anyway. So I really appreciate you. I love the fact that every time someone sends me a voice note, it is like you being a co-host. So if you would like to be a co-host on an episode and send me a voice note, then send your question to in all honesty at mindsetforlife.co.uk. I am accepting all questions on all topics. So fire away. The email address will be in the description below if you didn't catch that. In the meantime, my brand new book, The Joy of Being Selfish, is out in audiobook, ebook, and hardback. And it is all about boundaries. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you'll like my new book. Uh, if you want a body positive book, then my first book, Am I Ugly, is also out. And you can come find me online at Scarred Not Scared uh, on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Next week, we are talking about self worth. So tune in next Wednesday if you want to hear about that. Otherwise, have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.